Mac Power Users, episode 477, Mobile Music and Production with Jakob Huck. Hello, everyone. Hello, Jakob. How are you? Uh, I'm doing absolutely fine. Marvelous, actually. <laughs> and also with us today, Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, Mr. Hackett? Uh, hey, I'm good. I'm excited to, to get into this. You know, I like to think I play Mr. Audio Producer, but just doing vocals is a different ball game than making your own music. This is going to be fun. Yeah, today, today our, our guest is Jakob. He's a Swedish musician who in five years has produced 700 videos on music production. And not only are they great videos about music production, we're going to talk today, whether you're a novice or a, you know, Berkeley graduate musician, we're going to have some, hopefully some ideas for you about how to make music with your mobile devices. He produced all of those 700 videos on his iPad, no Mac involved. <laughs> and it's like, we got to talk to this guy. Let's just start off talking about, you know, what are the mobile devices you're carrying around to do all this work on? Well, right now I'm actually doing all the um, capturing, like capturing. I'm I'm filming, filming. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm using my iPhone 6s, so it's already got some years on it, right? But yeah. it works for for everything I want to do, and I mostly work with videos in 1080p, 60 frames per second, and that that's perfect for for YouTube. And a lot of my my audience also watches my videos on these iDevices, you know because of my content so it, it just works i'm also using um an ipad pro uh 12.9 inch it's the 2016 years model i think the one that still has a headphone port um sure. but earlier i used an iphone 5 i've used an ipad mini 1 and an ipad mini 2 and i used to edit on those and when i started out editing my videos and doing stuff i only had the iphone 5 so that was basically the only thing i used for the first whole year uh, all of those videos have been made on one iphone one iphone 5 wow um, and, and, you know, I would imagine a headphone jack is kind of important for a musician. Yeah, it's extremely important. I had this conversation on a <laughs> in a hotel room with a, a guy called Gaz Williams. He's a British uh, musician. He's quite well known also when it comes to... Uh, he deals with this thing called Sonic state uh, i think it's a like a big site and a big channel uh, he doesn't run it but he, he he does stuff with the with the guys there and we talked about this because that's something that really annoys us with, with the with the new devices that they don't have the headphone ports and this is why i haven't purchased a new iDevice yet because i am so what do you call it um i really need that port mm -hmm. um I really need that port. Plus, I don't want to use I don't want to use uh, wireless headphones because, as a musician, as a music producer, it makes absolutely no sense to me to have to stop every six hours to charge my listening devices. <laughs> I just find that absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, yeah, I, I have a whole rant built up for that, but maybe you want to ask me more questions before yeah. that. Well, well people. You know, people who don't do a lot of audio work may not realize it's it's a lot more than just a headphone jack, right? That that 3.5 millimeter jack lets you route audio from one device to another. So if you're running it into anything beyond headphones, right? You're running it into a mixer or another capture device or something, a recorder. That's 
a really straightforward way of doing it. And audio over lightning just isn't as well supported. And you've got to use adapters and you have to not lose those. And then if you don't get the right one, you can't charge the device and run audio out. It's it's a it's a really a frustrating experience for people who, like you said, rely on it and need it for their day to day work. As I, as I say here, I'm not aware. Is there a lightning adapter that has both power and a headphone jack? Yes, because all the all the ones I've seen are just a headphone jack. No, 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 no. This now now we get into a really murky kind of country here, and this is where I really start to act, actually just. Oh, God. Mm, Apple. <laughs> okay, so this is the thing. If you want to get um, a connector that has all of the ports on it that, that you need, like you need the USB connection, you need a charger connection, you want a headphone port on there or, or at least a port for plugging in that dongle, that headphone dongle connector, then you can go third party. Now, the problem is finding a third party developer or um, har- hardware developer that actually makes them where they are MFI certified and this is something really important when you're using lightning connectors mm-hmm. lightning connectors it, it doesn't really do proper USB it doesn't give out um, a proper amount of milliamps it's it's not like a USB connection port um, like on a laptop or a desktop computer uh, so it gives out less so that's a problem with the power consumption and then when when you need more ports on it well there is companies like Belkin. They make MFI certified stuff. And MFI certified means basically made for iPhone, made for iPad, or made for iOS. I can't remember what it was. But this means that uh, they're basically chipped and they will t- let iOS know that they're the legit deal, right? But if you're buying something from a third-party developer that doesn't do these MFI-certified stuff, meaning they don't pay Apple for the license, then all it takes is one iOS update, and it will destroy that connection with that particular d- adapter for the, for the rest of its life. You're just wasting money. Just one update. It's all it takes. This is why I always say buy the, st- buy the original stuff from either Apple or buy MFI certified stuff from Belkin, for instance. Or Anchor also makes them, but they only make charger cables, I think. Well, you know, when they came out with the iPhone and they took the headphone jack out, they made a, they made a case to say, look, there's very limited space in that little case and there's just not room for a headphone jack. And yeah. I, I can buy that uh, with, the, with the iPad. We we all know there's a lot of space in there. I think that probably if you put somebody at Apple against a wall and ask them why, they'd probably say it's because of that screen bezel that they can't do it now. But it's just like you know, you think of the the eleven the eleven inch and the twelve point nine inch iPad Pros that are over a thousand dollars. Man, I, I wish they could have found a way to put a headphone jack in. Yeah, I I think that there's the only answer to this is they just want to make it thinner. This is the problem with connectors. Like we have the same deal, as same. I wouldn't say problem, but we're seeing more dongles on hardware synthesizers, drum machines, musical. For anyone not knowing what that is, musical devices that can produce sounds, drum sounds, um, synth sounds, stuff that we use to make uh, music with. And many of these smaller devices that are starting to come out now are seeing these dongle connectors, where you have uh, what used to be legacy type connectors, like MIDI connectors. These are usually big clunky connectors. Uh, now you get a dongle instead where you put this thing into a something that looks like a headphone 
Lisbon port. And then it ends up in a, in a dongle clump uh, where you have the actual connector you need. And this is because, I mean, when you think about the hardware, if you put a connector like that of that size into the hardware itself, then you have you you need a bigger case for that. And so, if you remove all of these and make these dongles instead, then it's so much easier to put it down into a thinner format. Now, I've never asked for a thinner iPad. The iPad I have is thin, so I just for me that's a ridiculous thing. I don't need it to be thinner than this. It's thin. It's light. Stop. Just please stop. Stop. Bring back the connectors. Just bring them back. I, uh, I remember I got a used Atari ST computer when I was in college because it had mini ports in it. The, the big ones, you know, the big round ones that mm-hmm. we used to have. Are yeah, they, the leg- do, legacy ones. Do people even use those anymore? I've got a drawer for all those cables around here somewhere. I should probably get rid yeah, of them. Yeah, it's... If there are any musicians, they're probably gonna giggle a little bit to that for that for the question. But <laughs> I, I'll let you know. Yeah, we we all use them like all the time. Oh, it's, really? Uh, yeah, it's a really good connector. It it works. It's very hard to plug it any other way. I mean, it, you 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 can't just accidentally plug something else into it. Uh, maybe. Maybe something from a light show, like lights that you use for stage. Uh, they use the DMX connectors use the same type of uh, of plug, but we use them all the time. And so I have several uh, multiple different USB interfaces that I use with my iPad or my iPhone that ends up in that little DIN five, that old that you say you had on the Atari. You can even find something similar on. Uh, uh, on other computers and old synthesizers. Yeah, new synthesizers come with them. New drum machines come with them. They still use them. You know, one thing, talking through your equipment list there, uh, you have not mentioned a Mac yet. And I wonder, is you got a Mac in that studio somewhere, or are you all iOS? I am all iOS, but I've had to use a Mac for certain things because Apple have made it really hard for me or anyone else want to do some pro type work. I say that in quotation marks, but sure. to to in order to move stuff uh, from and about, you know, into an iPhone, out from an iPhone, uh, it's easier to have uh, access to a Mac. And it just so happens that my significant other, she works as a journalist uh, and she uses a MacBook. And so whenever I can, I borrow that one. But this is ma- mainly, mainly for transferring big files. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what I use it for. It's, it's amazing how many conversations on this show about iPad limitations come back to file management. I feel like it's it's a ride we can't get off. And I mean, I mean, too, you know, I move a bunch of audio files around every day. These things get big and, you know, waiting for something like like AirDrop or Dropbox or, or you know, some sort of cloud solution to sync, you know, big wave files around. If you got to work, you don't want to be waiting for, you know, the Internet to do to move the, these files for you. So I definitely understand that pain. And I have I have the same pain. It's It's, you know, there are some great podcast editing tools for the iPad. But the problem always is, how do you get the files on and off, right? If you, you, you have these, like, boxes that you plug an SD card in and make a wireless connection, all this wild stuff. It's like, well, if, if we just had USB-C file, you know, access, it would solve so many problems for so many people. I, mean, I just can't, I can't reiterate how many times this is the thing that people get hung up on with the iPad. So tell me, what, how big, at what point does a file become unmanageable for you? 
And when you do attempt to move big files around to your iPad, because I know you're doing the video production there, how do you do it? So this is the thing. Um, it, 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 it almost goes back to the start when I started out. Um, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not some rich kid. Um, so it, it, I've, I'm pretty, what do you call it? My wallet is always light. And so when I wanted to get an iPhone, I couldn't go for the really big models with a lot of storage space on it. So I always went for the 16 gigabyte model. I still use a 16 gigabyte model, which which after iOS is done with it, you have about 11, uh, yeah. right? So, Not okay, much. so... And out of the 11, you need some storage space for some apps. And then you're left with, let's say I have six gigabytes to film with. That's what I use to film with. So I'm really used to doing short clips or only up to five gigabytes in length, you know, whatever that might be in minutes, 27 minutes in 1080p, 60 frames a second. I think that's about there, five gigabytes about. And so it's never been a problem to move it from one iDevice to another because, you know, airdrop. I've hit a wall right now because recently I went down to Germany um, and I visited this. uh, I was invited to a thing called Thomas Synth Reactor. So we were 25 YouTubers that went down there. Well, it's let's not talk about the event itself. But the thing is, we did a lot of video work there. And the way that they provided us with the video material was that we had to give them SD cards. Now, uh, everyone using an iOS device, hearing SD cards, knows that that is a problem because it's not easy to use SD cards with iOS. You could use an old um, iLeaf connector if you can find them anywhere. Some stores might still have them. They've stopped making them but they will actually take sd cards however you can only use sd cards up to 32 gigabytes and here's where i hit an issue my sd card that i gave them for storing my videos after every session that we did was 64 gigabytes and this iLeaf iLeaf iBridge thing wouldn't take that it w- it won't recognize it when i plug it into the lightning port so what what do I have to do? Okay, so I decided on getting myself a hard drive. Now anyone that has an iDevice with a lightning port, you know that you can't use you can't use just plug an external hard drive to it. No, why why should you? I mean why, right? So have to ask Apple about that. So I had to get a wireless one instead. And that seems nice, okay? So I got the wireless and it works on a Wi-Fi network, so it creates its own hotspot. It's um, it's actually a, a Western Digital My Passport Wireless Pro, and creates its own hotspot. You connect to it through an app, and this is very contrived to do. And then you can send your files to this hard drive wirelessly over a network, and also download. The problem was that as soon as you want to send really big files it just won't work. It won't do it. It won't do it. It also creates a copy of the file within the app. And so if you're already limited on space on your iDevice, first it has to download the video file. And so it makes a copy inside the app. And then you can save it from there to your camera roll. So if the file is, let's say it's 32 gigabytes, uh, what, what you're going to end up with a session uh, of 64 gigabytes. And I didn't think about that when I 
wanted to to pull the the, the video down to my iPad. So it it, it just kept g- getting interrupted because there was no storage space. The copied it already copied the file. It was already there, locked into the app, not directly down to the camera roll. That's an extra step you have to do. It's so stupid. Yeah, and then when you want to send a file back, if it's over five gigabytes, you can't. It will just abort every time. And so what I had to do was borrow my significant other's laptop, her MacBook, connect the drive there, and then copy the files over there, and then send it with AirDrop, and suddenly I realized I bought this really expensive hard drive, wireless hard drive, and it it defeats the purpose of it being wireless, because, you know, it doesn't do the job. You you, you have to do this other thing with MacBook, and oh my, I feel so stupid, I feel so tricked. I didn't think that that it could be like this, but yeah, it is. It's just, no, ugh. How how many collective angst is there over file management on iPad? I mean, I feel I feel vindicated. I'm not the only one. I haven't met anyone that does this the, the, the sort of work that I do or even dabble with it that aren't like annoyed, extremely annoyed with the file management systems on iOS. And not only that, they most people absolutely hate having to use iTunes to move certain stuff around. Now I don't use iTunes. I use it as little as I can. Absolutely yeah. as little as I can. So, yeah. And, and by that, you're talking about hardwire, con- wire connecting your iPad to your Mac and then using the iTunes drag and drop to move files. Exactly. And that's yeah. just contrived too. I mean, I don't understand why they're setting up. They're making everything, Apple is making everything to be as user-friendly, but in, in their efforts of making it user-friendly, when it comes to pro uh, pros, uh, did I just call myself a pro? Well, pro type of work in quotation marks. I think with the amount of stuff you produce, you can call yourself a pro. That's okay. We give you permission. <laughs> you, you get the badge. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, did, I haven't used one of these in a while, but it, didn't they make a lightning to SD card adapter that Apple had that you could like yank the, the SD card out of your camera and just plug it into your iPad and it would go to photos at that point? Is, would that work for you? Yeah, yeah, okay. The, the old camera connection kit um, does stuff really, really well as long as stuff is compatible with it. So anything yeah. you use with lightning ports with connectors has to be USB class compliant, meaning these things shouldn't need any extra drivers in order to work with your iDevice because you cannot, as you can on a laptop or a desktop computer, for instance, where you buy something, you buy maybe a camera, a microphone, um, something else, you know, a, a sound card uh, or, or a video editing platform, something that connects with USB. Normally, you'd go to the developer of that product's uh, website and then you'll download drivers, install them and everything will work properly. You can't do that on iOS. It needs to be of a certain standard. It's called class compliance. It's basically like saying plug and play. You just plug it and it works. That means that all of the drivers, everything you need is on a chip inside the unit itself. And so with my cameras that I have at home, I have actually a DSLR camera that I don't use for video work but for photography, uh, it works perfectly. As soon as I update to iOS, it doesn't. And then they roll out an update. It's, uh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. One update and suddenly my camera won't connect. I have to wait three months. A new update comes for iOS and suddenly it works again. 
And then I, I have my channel full of comments from people wondering, why doesn't this and that work? Why doesn't this and that work? My first question is, did you update? If they say yes, then I say, wait, uh, did I get off on a tangent there? I'm sorry. Yeah, it didn't occur to me, but with the videos you do, because you're, you're instructing people how to make music with their iDevices, I bet you do get a lot of questions about technical support. And it's got to be a little maddening when, you know, it's stuff that's baked in the operating system that you really have no control over. Yeah, and I've made several videos of it. I I, I just put up a video. Uh, I put up a video about uh, two weeks ago about the five reasons to why you get an error message when you're trying to connect something that is USB to your iPad or or iPhone with uh, either a camera connection kit, the older one, or the new one that is called the USB 3 to Lightning connector. These connectors, when you connect USB stuff to it, you can get a pop-up message. It might look different uh, depending on what it is you're connecting and what the error might be, but it usually says something along the lines of accessory not available or accessory not supported or accessories pulling too much power, something like that. I made a video of, of the five reasons to why that happens. Um, and I, I just wish that somehow Google made it so that anytime anyone types in a question about accessory not supported, that that video comes up because it's the, the most complete video on, 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 on Google, on YouTube, that explains everything that goes wrong, you know, with it, because it's so confusing for a beginner to actually get into this. You, you could actually need a manual for this before you even get one of those connectors. The, the reason to why I'm criticizing this platform is because I love it so much and because I use it so much, so much. You're finding the, you're finding the edges. I feel the same way. I mean, I use the iPad a lot to do big boy work and the file management stuff is the reason I whine about it on the show sometimes is because it's not good enough. Well, I do want to talk about um, how you do pull it off anyway, despite these challenges right after this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at One Password. We all have countless online accounts, from social media all the way to things like banking, and each one of those accounts deserves its own secure, unique password to keep us safe. That's where One Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords, and the best part is you don't have to remember them because they're all stored in one password on all of your devices, synced easily. So if you're at home or in the office or somewhere in between, you can log into all of your accounts easily. One Password, though, is more than just an app and a service. Through their blog, they keep users updated about things they should know about. And just recently, they were talking about a Facebook issue where somewhere between two and 600 million user accounts had their passwords stored in plain text. And so they're saying, hey, you should go and check your Facebook password and probably change it. And what's cool is one password, you don't have to just necessarily read the blog because they have Watchtower built into the app, which will keep an eye on things. So if one of your passwords is leaked or is used um, in multiple places or there's some sort of security breach, one password will alert you to let you easily change it. And of course, 1Password works across a wide range of browsers. Uh, I use it with Chrome on my Mac and Safari on my iOS devices, and it supports all the latest Apple technology. So I can use Face ID, I can use Touch ID, and that's really useful because security shouldn't make your life more difficult. It should make it more secure. 
Head over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you do sign up, you'll get 20% off. Again, that's onepasswordcom MPU. So let's talk a little bit about your your YouTube channel. I've spent uh, quite a few hours uh, diving into it over the last few days, and you have a really uh, pretty interesting mix of videos. So you've got stuff where you're, uh, you know, reviewing different music apps or pieces of hardware. You're interviewing people. Um, kind of how did that get started? How did you kind of end up on YouTube, and and uh, how has that changed over time as the technology has gotten better? Right. So um, I started on YouTube very, very early, but this is the thing. Uh, I don't pull much attention to it because I don't want people to find the really, really old stuff. (laughs) All right. Okay. So I've been on YouTube quite some time, but it's not like I used my my own name or anything connected to me. And usually you couldn't see my face. I talked with, uh, with heavy accents in various ways and stuff. But I've tried so many different type of channel formats. Um, and the most successful one I had before this one was, was actually a channel that is kind of, that people, some people know about. Uh, it's called FUNA. So F-O-O-N-A. Uh, I used to do a lot of reggae music and dub music and stuff. So I had a channel for that but what made me end up on the channel i am now and hack attack with with my name and everything was basically it's something i i started a year after i got uh sober clean and sobered up uh, basically because i'm a sober drug uh, uh, addict and a uh, alcoholic basically um and when i got sober um i started a blog called hack attack where I wrote stuff and I wrote uh, interviews right there. Uh, So I did uh, a lot of interviews with uh, developers and I did that because I wanted to put faces on the apps we were using. And one thing that I saw a lot when among users, uh, I myself is also users, a user, uh, but um, there's a common theme with uh, a disconnect between the actual developer, whether it's software or hardware, doesn't really matter what what type of apps or hardware they're making. It could be cars or anything else, but these are just people. And many times I saw a lot of talk about just money and prices and, and stuff and usability and functions. And I wanted I wanted faces there because there are people doing these things, you know? There are people enabling me to make music the way I want by building the tools, you know, I I can then use. The interview started there on the blog. And then it kind of crept away as soon as I started making my first uh, tutorial videos. And I started making tutorial videos because I I just wanted to help people out. I had decades of experience with um, synthesizers, electronic music, computerized music, and I just wanted to share it with people because there's so many people out there who wants to learn about this. So I, I started making that. It took some time before I actually got into interviewing people again. And this time I, I thought it would be a cool thing to put it into my video. So I, I'm doing this thing now uh, that I've been doing for maybe a year back where um, I make a format called Docutorials. It's basically like a review, a tutorial and an interview all in one with some history about either the developer or the piece of hardware or app that I'm reviewing. So, So it's basically a fully produced show and 
I do it like that because uh, YouTube also like when it comes to statistics, you know, it's a numbers game with YouTube and YouTube likes it when people watch videos for a long time. And so I've just been trying to find out ways of making uh, making my videos and my content interesting enough uh, so that people will want to watch them for a long time. And I think I have it now because I've seen it in my statistics. Uh, so that's, I mean, did that answer your question? That's basically why, why I'm doing the things I'm doing now. I wanted to help people. I wanted to put faces on the apps and hardware that I use, that we use. Yeah, I think all that makes a ton of sense. And I really love the angle of, you know, talking about the people behind the technology we use. We do a lot of that here on this show and, and other shows on Relay of when you understand like where the creator of a product comes from, whether it be an app or a piece of hardware, when you understand the goals they had and what they wanted to do with their product, you you understand the product better and you can see how their influences, you know, affect their work. And of course, if you have a relationship, then you can offer feedback and it becomes like this, this two-way thing. I think the world's a better place when we know who makes the things we use every day. I think that's super cool. Yeah, and I also I also think an additional benefit is it's easy to anonymize and attack these people. I think, um, and a lot of them are guys just like us and ladies and women that are trying to uh, you know just make something to scratch their own itch that they've got a great idea and they want to make it. And I, I, you know, the internet can be so terrible when you put a face on these things. It I think it really helps. Yeah, I mean, there are so many ways you can give feedback and something that is so not helpful uh, is just trolling. And I like constructive criticism. And so I don't have too many videos on my channel where I actually do that because usually if I find out that an app or an hardware doesn't really suit me, then I don't want to waste my time talking about it. That's not the type of content I make. I try to show useful stuff basically and and for for a long time i felt like maybe maybe that uh, would be considered to be dishonest by people or something like hey why don't you talk about the negative stuff but so right now i'm i'm trying to add more constructive criticisms to my videos because sometimes i just really don't like certain things um but that's the thing when you start out with youtube you're in the beginning you can it can be scary to actually say negative stuff about things i mean sure some some content creators they start their their careers by saying neg- negative stuff about things you know and that's how they get known and 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 how they grow but for me and for many others it it's it doesn't feel like this natural thing to do because you're you're putting yourself out there too on the spot right and by the way i mean i I've always known that there are people behind the products I use. And sometimes, how weird it might sound, uh, or maybe it's not weird. I just don't want to hurt their feelings. But at the same time, I want to help them out to make a better product because I want to see, I want to see people succeed in what they do, you know? And, and, and I'd say having watched some of your video, I, I feel like, you know, we're kindred spirits in the sense that both of us share a lot of workflows and just ways of getting work done. And I'm not going to spend time teaching you how to do it wrong or a way that doesn't work. So of course you're going to focus on the stuff that works the best for you. And I get it. Yeah, that's really well put. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we spoke some earlier about you're using iPhones and iPads to produce these videos. And, um, 
you know, using an iPhone and an iPad to, to film, you know, you've got to deal with mounting it and you got to deal with audio. So what does that hardware setup look like? Right. Okay. So um, if I, if I can just go back and talk real briefly about how I started with it. Sure. Um, all right. So I started out with one iPhone, right? And so I had an iPad mini one where I was running the apps. And so the first kind of setup I had was two shoe boxes taped together uh, <laughs> with two glass jars in it filled with something to make it heavy and not move around. Sometimes I had to tape these shoe boxes down to the table because I was moving it around. And the way that I had my, my, my iPhone propped up was on this... I found some leftover wood uh, in my in my um, clothing chamber chamber clothing co- what what's the word for that wardrobe Clo- closet in my, in my closet yeah yes in my right. closet my my my, my significant other Sophia she collects stuff she doesn't like to throw things away which is you know it's good because you can reuse stuff and fix stuff and I also like that so I went in there searching for some wood and then I just grabbed some grabbed some screws I screwed this really ugly looking thing together I used some rubber bands and I basically propped up the iPhone over that and so I worked with that the whole first year. Just sometimes the iPhone would drop down because uh, the, the rubber bands were getting bad or they snapped or something like that. So it could ruin a whole session for me and I had to redo everything. Later on, I got like a big box. It wasn't a shoe box. It was a box for an Xbox 360 or a, yeah, an Xbox 360 because I'm a gamer too. Um, and I cut holes in the sides of it and on the top of it. On the top, I only cut out a small piece so that the iPhone camera could peek through. And then in it, I just uh, glued white sheets of paper inside of it and then put two light, cheap lights on the side of it. And I filmed like that for another another year. Um, after that, I got a new, new iPhone, the iPhone 6S. And um, I worked with that with that box for maybe a few months until... I got myself a microphone stand and a little converter that uh, kind of converts the screw for where you normally put the microphone holder. It converts it into a camera holder. And then I had to get a, an iPhone holder that would screw onto the camera holder. Uh, and then I put my iPhone in there. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I'm using it right now. My iPhone in, is in that stand. And then I have um, like a note notebook stand uh, where I place my microphone that's why it keeps on dropping it whenever I walk into it because it's not really fastened to that thing it, it it's kind of loose on there um, and, and and so that's basically my setup for filming my stuff I just use a microphone stand today uh, yeah it's really yeah, I, I kind of like that because a lot of times we hear from listeners that want to try something they want to make something maybe it's a podcast or a video and you can get really hung up on the gear about, you know, what is the best, you know, tripod stand for my, my iPhone. And I love that you were like, Hey, you know what? I just want to make videos. So here's a, here's a cardboard box and some rubber bands and I'm off to the races. Yeah. I, I usually tell people that I like, I hear people, uh, I hear a lot of talking from people. I cannot start my channel until I buy this $1,500 camera. I cannot start my podcast until I buy this $200 microphone. And if you, if you, if you have a smartphone in your hand, it can be an Android, it can be an Android, but if you have a smartphone, if you have an, especially an iDevice, then you have a portable studio in your pocket 
every day. You're probably walking around with that thing in your hand more than you're holding your your spouse. Uh, so, I mean, if you have that, you have a studio, stop talking. Stop talking. The time for talking is, is it's done. Start working. Press record. It's got a camera app on there. It's got a recorder. You don't need anything more than the memo to make a podcast. I mean, the, the memo application that comes with iOS, open it up, start recording and start talking. Publish it. And, and then work your off just trying to get that thing out on all social networks. That's how you start. You start doing it. You don't talk about it. You do it. Yes, you do. Well, and, and 700 videos in five years. I'm going to stop saying it, but that's a lot of videos. <laughs> so getting back to the, once you decided to do this, you had the iPad and you had the iPhone. What, where do you do your post-production? For video production, for video editing, everything I need exists in one app. It's called LumaFusion. It's been on top of its game uh, for a very long time. Um, and the team has been doing some, oh my God, some amazing, amazing stuff with it. It's, uh, for a long time, it was the closest thing you could get to something like Adobe Premiere, which is another editor uh, that you can use on desktop and laptop computers. Um, now, Adobe has made their own, only they've, uh, the, Adobe, you can do so much better. Come on. You, you have the biggest team for this the way you've handled the ios thing is just ridiculous so they they're not doing it as good as LumaFusion does it in the way that it handles um, many of the things in there like the way that you move stuff around it just feels off um they have done some great work when it comes to um color correction if you want to do color correction adobe um adobe rush it's called is really 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 good LumaFusion is good too. It's really, really good. It's just that uh, Adobe has that Adobe flair to it. And so I would say in that thing, they're really top notch. But then again, LumaFusion's color correction stuff isn't bad. It can also load 3D LUTs. And for anyone into video production, uh, you'll know what that means. If you're not into video production, you'll, you'll have to Google it because I can't really explain it to you that well. But it's a way of color correcting stuff. And when you're using 3D LUTs, you have uh, almost a three-dimensional workspace when it comes to the colors. And LumaFusion allows for filters like that. It can import filters from many other popular apps. Um, It can save presets, which is a big thing, you know, with video editing apps on iOS, because most video editing apps are made for people who want to post stuff on Instagram, for instance, or Facebook. And I would say that these are the most bog standard stuff you could ever use. Um, Unfortunately, Apple's own, Apple iOS's own, uh, what's it called? iMovie? iMovie. yeah, it's so bog standard, it's ridiculous. It does the job if you want to do publications for Facebook and and stuff. But if you want to work with layers, then you have to look at either LumaFusion or Premiere Rush. But with Premiere, uh, yeah, you know, you have to pay microtransactions to actually unlock the real stuff. With LumaFusion, it's, it's a one-time price. I feel like the difference is, you know, the Adobe uh, app was a... Was a an iPad app made to fit in their platform of apps. You know, that it's it's one piece of many things, whereas LumaFusion is an app made just to be just a killer video app 
for the iPad without yeah. holding it to anything else. I, I think the, the word we're looking for here is when it comes to video editing on iOS, LumaFusion gives a more cohesive feeling when it comes to that because it was made uh, to be used for video editing specifically on iOS. Adobe Rush feels like it feels it feels kind of rushed. Uh, I think <laughs> pun was intended here, but uh, the, the, what uh, what was it I was going to say? I was going to say it's yeah, like you say, David. It's like a port. It feels like a, they ported stuff from from the desktop versions. I've never been a big fan of the Adobe user interfaces, even back when they were just on Mac. You know, I just, I've just never, you know, you know, when a company makes their own user interface as opposed to using the system user interface, it yeah. always feels to me like they're showing off a bit that they do that. And quite often it's inferior, especially for users who are used to something working a certain way. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's more user friendly if you use the, uh, the, the, um, the interface of the, um, of the operating system itself in, in some form or way. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus. Check out version 3 of OmniFocus for the Mac, the iPad, and the iPhone. If you listen to this show for any length of time, you know that I use OmniFocus to hold my life together. What I really like about OmniFocus is how flexible it is. A good example of this is in version 3, a new feature they've added to the forecast view. In it, you can pick one specific tag to always show up in your forecast view. Lately, I've been pretty busy, and I just want to make sure every day I'm taking care of what I call the big rocks. You know, those tasks that are super important that you really don't want to go to bed without having completed. I've got all these different ways to index and tag my data in OmniFocus, but one trick I've been using just the last few days as I've been getting through a busy period is using the tag, which I call Big Rock, and I give a few tasks the Big Rock name, and then in that perspective view, I enable the tag to show me my Big Rocks, and it just makes it super easy for me to cut through all of the task management I do with OmniFocus, which is quite a bit, and get down to just the very few items that I want to make sure I finish every day on a busy day. Well, that's just one thing you can do in OmniFocus. There's so much more like the review periods. There's the way it syncs so amazingly between all of your Apple devices. And honestly, just the way it is so flexible uh, to adjust according to whatever you're doing in your life. Well, that's just one feature among many with OmniFocus. There's a whole lot more to love about the application, things like the review that allows you to set specific reviews for specific projects, the amazing tag support, and all of the customization so you can make OmniFocus work exactly the way you need it to. But don't just take my word for it. Head over to the omnigroup.com slash OmniFocus and download the trial today. Spend just a little bit of time with this application and you'll see why it's so important to me. And let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. So so walk me through LumaFusion a little bit. I'm sure there's listeners that have heard of it but never really used it. There's a lot of video power in there. If you could kind of talk us through the steps you take when you import a video and you, you do your post-production on your iPad. Right. So usually I film on my iPhone, okay? And then I use AirDrop just to send it over to the iPad and so it ends up in the camera roll. That's usually where I want all of my material, whether it's pictures or, or video. 
And then I simply open up LumaFusion and it has like a file system, uh, which makes sense. Uh, so you just go to photos, you go to, uh, and you, if you have folders, then they will show up. If you're using Dropbox, they will show up. If you have a, a wireless drive, like the VD one I have, if you connect that, it will show up. You can import your videos from there. But the simplest way is just to pull it in from the camera roll down into one of the lanes. And now you have three lanes to work with, um, basically, where you can put graphics in it, like video and pictures. So even though you only have three lanes, I mean, that's a bit limiting if you're used to working with something else like Premiere, for instance, or, or something on the laptop or desktop systems. The lanes aren't locked into one certain type of media. You can put videos in there in MOV files. You, you can put MP4 files in there and other types. You can't use MPEG because iOS, Apple, um, but you, anything else. You can also put JPEG pictures in there, GIFs. GIFs uh, if they've got, got a transparent background, it will you know, still have that when you put it in. Um, you can also put text layers in there and the text layers can contain uh, objects and they can contain pictures. So there's so much you can do with it. So I basically just cut, cut up my video uh, and my audio at the same time, put them together. I'll put some uh, text over it, do some zoom ins, zoom outs, some animations. Uh, you can animate stuff. You can move stuff around in the picture. I do motion tracking by hand. Anyone into video production, knows that that is a they you're probably thinking that i'm insane and you're right i am insane for anyone that doesn't know i uh, you kind of have to look it up manual manual tracking in luma fusion google that on on youtube you'll find my video and you'll you'll see how insane i am well but, but why do you do it by hand uh because there there is there, there is no way to automate that with the okay. script you can right. do that in Premiere, for instance, or something like Flash, um, or any type of video editor that has uh, keyframing, as it's called. It's basically when you put down a point and you say, I want this th thing to do this. And then when it comes to the next point, I want this thing to do that. So you can basically tell the, the application to move the video from the left to the right between two points. And you can do so much more intricate stuff, but that's the that's the gist of it. And with laptop and desktop computers, you have scripts that will automate stuff for you, read the video for you, do the tracking for you. But on iOS, you have to do everything by hand. So a task that would take maybe two minutes to do on the MacBook, it takes me two hours. But I still do it because it's cool. You know, it looks cool. So I, I still want to do it. That's the platform I've chosen. So, yeah, um, I'm basically torturing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes people feel like that way with the iPad. But it, it's just such an interesting device. There's a lot of folks like you that, that want to do that. They want, they want to, you know. It, I, I felt like for you, it's not like you're not trying to prove a point. You just like working on the platform. Well, uh, David, you're gonna be so disappointed in me. Uh, maybe, maybe Stephen also. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, uh, I started wanting to get into iOS because I wanted to prove a point to some of my producer friends who looked at that thing and said, "That's just a toy." Uh, it's ridiculous to think that you can do anything serious with it. Uh, and then it turned into a thing. And, and now it feels like torture because now I'm not doing it to prove a point. Now I'm just doing it because this is my platform. So 
Well, and, and we, and to be fair, we really started with the hardest thing. We went to the video because, you know, it, it was impressive to me what the music you make in, in your videos on YouTube. There, there's some really great content in there about how to make music with your mobile devices. But to me, it's like next level that you're doing all that video production as well. And that's where we started. Let's go back to the thing you were talking to your producer friends about in music production. And and how did you get started doing that on mobile? And and give us some help if somebody's listening and wants to get started on their own. Right. Um, well, uh, when I got onto um, the mobile platform, I, I started with an iPhone 5. And my first task was actually to find ways of working like I had done before. Uh, this will be hard to understand if you don't hear about my background. So I'll do that real short. Um, sure. I'm 40 now. I'm in my 40s now. So I've been doing this music thing for a very, very long time. I would say that I started long before I was 10, so maybe five. But I would say that it really started when I was 10 and I got introduced to this concept of electronic music and making it on computers, you know, through the games I played. Uh, yeah. I love 8-bit eight, eight style music, chip-tune style music, as, it, as it's called. For anyone who isn't into gaming, that's the kind of music... If you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s now, if you heard a lot of blip-blops coming from the children's room, you know, all, the, all day long, it's because they were playing games and that's the type of music I grew up with and started loving, yeah? And so I wanted to make music like that. And so the first experience I had with making electronic music was on, on, a, on a Commodore 64 and then an Atari ST, then Amiga, and it went on from there. I used everything from tape to reel-to-reel recorders, ADAT uh, recorders. I was an early adopter of mini-discs, which was really contrived and that wasn't all a, at all fun to use. But hey, they were cool, you know, at the time. I haven't used 8-track. I know you Americans love that. Or not you Americans. I, I, mean, I know the American uh, viewers. I know the American listeners like that. And I'm going to try to get into that for my channel, actually, someday, because it would be cool. But I've done everything. And then suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm in, on this platform where I'm sitting with big tower computers, PC back in the day, um, Macs in, inside the professional studios where I was working with the musicians and bands. And suddenly I'm on iOS and I have nothing of the old studio. I don't have my old studio. I don't have my old synthesizers. I have nothing. I have this iPhone. And now I have to find ways of actually doing everything I could do in the past, but on this little device. So if you've never ever picked up an instrument before, or if you've only do, done it like um, like briefly, but you really want to get into it, and you don't you you don't want to learn a new instrument right away, then there are apps out there that you can use that you can download uh, for free now. This one that I'm going to mention is freemium. So in the end, you might have to pay to unlock a certain engine or something. It won't be much, but if you want to get deep into it, then you have to pay a, a small amount. It's a microtransaction. We're all used to that by now, you know. But uh, there's an app called Groovebox by Amplify. 
Um, and it basically, it has scales in there. When you open it up and you load up an instrument and you, it will instantly start playing a drum loop. And when you switch out the different drum packs or the different presets, it will play different drums. So you can just choose something you like and then you can load another instrument and keep going. And if you want to go deeper into it, you can, but you don't really have to think about uh, what you're doing. You just have to start out and listen to it, get get caught up by it, and that will make you want to do it more. Or you'll discover that you don't want to do music at all, which is also a good thing, you know, knowing what you don't like. There is just such a rich um, assortment of applications, especially on the iPad, I think, where it's using that surface to create music for people who are really into it or people who are just getting started. I That's one of my favorite categories of apps. Like even just like I um I have some apps I use that accompany me. Like if I want to play my instrument and have it play the the changes for you know Scrapple from the Apple or something, it, it can play the chord changes in the background. I mean, no matter what your level is on this stuff, there's always something to help you play a little more music. Take me for instance. I never ever really cared about like um, music um, theory, as we call it. I never really know what notes I play or anything, but I've been able to make albums uh, and, and music without that. I've been able to make make music without knowing how to play conventional instruments properly. I mean, I've learned stuff over the years, but if you think about this, I've, I've had a guitar in my home, uh, like an acoustic steel string guitar. I've had the regular string guitar. I've had electrical electric guitars i've had bass i've had uh, the the violin i also have a cello standing here right now uh, to the side and i've picked up stuff over the years but after you would think that after 25 years i would be really good at it right no no not at all i i hate playing on those instruments i i think they're oh god people are gonna hate on me now i think they're boring i'm sorry for me these instruments are boring i'm much more my best friends my best friends are synthesizers. My best friends are stuff that makes weird sounds. Stuff where you have like knobs on them. I, I, I like sculpting sounds that can't be made with conventional instruments. I like emulating conventional instruments with synthesizers. I mean, I've, I've sat with several synthesizers, tweaking them to make them sound like a guitar. And people would say like, why would you do that? Why not just get a guitar? And I'm like, well, that's just boring it's just boring i do it because i can you know it's cool it's it's a way it's like you're solving a problem every time you're tweaking a patch how do i get to this thing how do i do this and sometimes you discover stuff on the way i mean sure you can get creative with guitars you can make them sound very differently depending on what you do with them if you decide to tape up the whole body of your guitar it's going to change in timbre um in tone the sound is going to be different. If you drill a hole through it, the sound is going to be different. If you do anything to the string, strings, the sound is going to be different. I just, I've just done all of that already. But with synthesizers, I haven't done everything. I haven't. I don't think I'll ever be able to for the rest of my life. Now, if we can go back to if people are beginners and want to get into apps on their iDevices, then there are two more apps I would seriously, you know, I would, I would love for you to consider at least checking these apps out. And one of them is called Spacecraft. It's made by an English gent called Mark Watt. And 
I don't I, I don't want to talk too much about it uh, because if I start talking about it, it's going to sound weird. All you have to do is pay that very little price for it. This is a paid app. You pay for it. I think it's around five dollars or something. It's not much um, in euros. I think it's the same. Um, but uh, you just just pay for that thing. Put your finger down in one of the windows. Move it around, and you're gonna thank me. You're gonna thank me afterward, especially if you're a person who doesn't do music at all, and you just you just want to fiddle around with stuff and make something happen in a weird way. Get Spacecraft. Put your finger down. Move it around. And you're going to thank me. There's also an app called uh, Koala Sampler, like the animal, Koala. Um, And it's really new. It's also about $5. It's a sampler, which means that it basically records sound into the app. And it does it in a very, very quick way. You basically put your finger down. You talk into it, sing into it. You can also connect like a sound interface if you want. But if you're a beginner, you, you just have your phone, put your finger down, sing into it, do a noise, use some kitchen supplies, and you have a sample there that you can instantly use for something like beat making, making drums or anything. And that can be quite fun. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Bombas. You might not think about socks all that often because you're probably like me and super busy We just don't have time to put a lot of thought into things we put on our feet. However, let me tell you why you should think about Bombas. They make the most comfortable socks ever. They're made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy without being too thick. And they have so many colors and patterns and lengths and styles. They look great everywhere from the gym to the office, out of the town, and everything in between. So many of us have just been trapped in boring black or gray socks for so long. And Bombas thinks that life should be more colorful than that. So they have these beautiful patterns. They've got one that's blue that I really love. It's like blue and gray and white kind of swirled together. It's kind of like your foot is in a cloud. That's kind of how it feels too. Your feet, they're dreaming of Bombas right now. And this is so cool. I really love this. For every purchase that you make, Bombas will donate a pair to someone in need. So buy your Bombas today at bombas.com slash MPU and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash MPU for 20% off. Open your browser right now. Your feet will thank you for it. One more time, that's bombas.com slash MPU for 20% off. I was just looking at this app thinking this would be a really great app to use. I've got a nephew that's like, I think, 11 or 12. And I think like I could sit down with him on this app and we could have fun making stuff. You know, the other thing I was thinking when you're talking about synthesizers, um, you know, as a child of the 70s and 80s, I used to, you know, ride my 10 speed to the music store and look at the racks and racks of like the original. I don't know if it was original, but it was one of the the one of the original Moog synthesizers they had there where, you know, there was a keyboard and then there was like a linear foot of electronics behind it and just like super expensive synthesizers back in the day. And if you are interested in that at all, or always wanted one, but you couldn't afford the, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars they cost. Now for mere dollars, you can buy the apps on your iPad. The Moog one in particular, uh, if you want to customize, you can do just about anything. You can even connect uh, virtual wires between different sections of the keyboard to change the sound. 
Right, you're talking about the Moog Model 15, I'm sorry, right? Moog, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now, don't say you're sorry. I mean, the U.S. citizens have told me you should say Moog. And if, if you listen to actually listen to Bob Moog himself talk about this, that name is Dutch. And the way you say it is like a Klingon, Moog. So, I mean, you can say Moog, Moog, or whatever, right? I mean, it works. Yeah, I, I say Moog because I, I, I sat down when I was at this event I talked about earlier where all the YouTubers got together. I sat down with a guy from Moog uh, and he showed me one of the uh, Moog synthesizers, uh, two of them. It's the One is called Grandmother32 and the other one is called DFAM. I sat down with Jim, uh, a guy called Jim, um, and he showed me these things and he basically convinced me to want to get into the patching again. And patching is... When you have a lot of holes in a synthesizers and you put cables from one point to another, it's complicated stuff if you're a beginner, really complicated. But if you don't want that, then on iOS, you can get an app called Moog Model D. It's kind of, I wouldn't say a clone. I would more say it's like an application replica of the hardware Minimoog which is a synthesizer, and it doesn't cost much. And Gert Bevin, one of the lead pro uh, programmers, and his team has done such a great job on it, so that when I made a comparison video on my channel, well, people couldn't really hear the difference between the hardware and the software, which wow. is, uh, you know, that's... Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this. Okay, YouTube will compress the audio quite a bit, so I'll blame it on that. Mm -hmm. Just so that if there are any Moog lovers out there, so they don't go ballistic on me right now. Well, it is a testament to just how powerful these iOS devices have become. You know, the iPad and iPhone for years now have been really been supercomputers, and they can crunch all this data and do all of these things in real time, even... 10 years ago, that was something that was just, you know, people were dreaming about. Now you can just do it on a slab of glass. It seems like the future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was sitting probably when I was uh, around that age of 10, when I started getting into the Commodore 64 and everything, you know, loading uh, cassette tapes into the machine, watching a blue screen load. Uh, oh my God, I get fuzzy from thinking about it. Uh, I, I could, oh, I, I just want to go and grab my C64 right now and have it as a nightlight with that screen, loading screen, and sometimes there's different... I'm getting off on a tangent here. Uh, back then, I used to think that, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could have, like, this thing, this one little thing, um, about as big as, you know, um, an, an iPhone. I wasn't thinking iPhone back then, but about that big. That could become anything musical. You could, you could just switch out everything on it. And I'm sitting here 30 years later, but it's in my hand. And it's been in my hand for, what is it now, seven or eight years, I think, that I've had it. Yeah. And it's actually, it's actually doing that. Not only is it allowing me to make music, it's also allowing me to produce um, uh, videos. It's allowing me to make animations. It's, uh, it's allowed me to, to build a career for myself as an expert in the field. Um, on this. Uh, it's allowed me to get into a situation where I get invited to a big event with 25 other YouTubers, where my channel is probably one of the smallest ones, and do some amazing stuff. I've been, I mean, this thing in my hand, as much as I hate how much, you know, Apple does stuff sometimes, it's allowed me, it's giving me the tools to get to where I am today. 
to 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 actually sit there and actually consult big tech companies about their products and being uh, and being able to to send an invoice for consult for consultations and stuff i mean it's amazing it's amazing i've i've built so much with this and i've basically been using like two i devices right two two portable devices i can call on it i can i can do my business mails on it i can draw on it I, oh, it's amazing. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by our friends at Hover. Buying a domain name is the first step to building your online identity. And with Hover, you find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. I've been a customer for years. I love the simplicity of buying domains from Hover. They treat the customer with respect and give you exactly what you need. In fact, both of my children, when they were born, I went on Hover and purchased domains for them. So I've got their names as domains. As they get older, I'm going to be handing that over to them. And that's just one more thing they'll have as adults. With Hover, you get no upsells and a clean user interface. It's best-in-class customer support team and the Hover Connect feature that allows you to connect your domain name to many website builders with just a few simple clicks. With Hover, you can get personalized email that matches your domain. In fact, I do that because I have Max Sparky and my legal site both at Hover. I have my email domains through Hover as well. This further supports your online identity. It's got free who is privacy so the bad guys don't get your information. And who doesn't need a domain name? It feels like everyone has one these days. Like I said, my kids had domain names before they even knew what a domain was, or they could even walk or crawl. So it's important for yours to stand out. Get one from Hover. Hover has over 400 domain name extensions to choose from, which can help you brand yourself online. One really cool option is .me. It's a great extension to use to showcase something like a portfolio and show everyone who you are and what you're good at. So if you have a great personal website ready for launch, grab the .me extension. The .me domains are on sale for this month only at Hover for $9.99. That's 33% off for your first year. And if you're new to Hover, get an additional 10% off any domain extension for your first year. So go to hover.com slash MPU now. That's hover, H-O-V-E-R dot com slash MPU. It's time to get your portfolio website up and running. Thank you, Hover, for your support of this show and Relay FM. So you're doing a, a bunch of stuff. You're making videos. You're interviewing people. You're doing all your things. How do you manage all of that stuff? You know, apps and services you're using beyond the music and video production. <laughs> um, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really bad at it, but I. For the most time, um, like like this interview we're doing right now, I wrote it down in the, uh, what is it called, the calendar app that we have mm-hmm. on the iDevice. I use many of the native apps on our iDevices. I use the mm-hmm. notes. I use that a lot. The notes is being used all, all like... Every hour I write something down, something new. It might be something for a script. It might be titles for a video. It might be reminders to myself, making a thumbnail. It might be the email address, addresses. I use uh, the contacts a lot. I, I mean, I make sure that all of my contacts are up to date 
with um, addresses, uh, phone numbers, um, email addresses, all of that. Like the native stuff in iOS is really, really good and really straightforward to use. Um, everything from making um, appointments and it's all there. And I also use iBooks a lot uh, because I use a lot of... Um, I, I read a lot of PDFs, manuals, uh, specifications for synthesizers, applications, uh, stuff like that. And I need some place where to read it. Um, and I use the iBooks apps for that. I, I, I didn't really know that until a year ago. My, 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 my girlfriend, she told me like, hey, you can use iBooks for that. Uh, she even uses it uh, to show her tickets. When, when she buys tra- train tickets or flight tickets, she'll get that into a, like a PDF. She'll throw it into iBook and it's easy to load and show like instantly. So that's what I use yeah. it for too. Yeah, people. yeah. I use notes for for that. I just have a, a notebook called Travel, and there's a note for like, okay, you know, WBC flight, WBC hotel, and it's easy to to get to that. Um, you know, listening to you talk about using the native apps, so many of us overlook what they can do because we want we we want some you know some specialized feature that Calendar or Notes doesn't have. But the reality is, most people, a lot of people, just use the native apps, and I think that's why it's really important that Apple. Keep them updated, keep them fresh. You know, Notes got a big overhaul a couple of years ago and everyone moved into it, but they've got to keep it competitive and all of those things we've talked about. And so I think anyone out there, including you, you know, saying, oh, I just use the native stuff, like it being built in means like it is the default for most people. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, there is... <sighs> I mean, there could be like an advantage to use uh, third-party apps. Like, uh, for instance, here I'm sitting with uh, two notes, basically. So I have one note open because I'm using split screen. Since I'm using a big iPad, the uh, 12.9-inch one, I can use Mm -hmm. split screen mode, meaning you you can have two windows open at the same time beside one another, which is a really nice thing. I do that sometimes when I watch YouTube videos, taking notes for future stuff when I do research and and other things, reading articles. Sometimes I have to read science articles uh, in order to understand certain types of synthesis. So it's nice to, to have the notes on on the, the left and uh, maybe like Safari on the right. Um, but in, for this instance, like you guys sent me a, a thing uh, with some topics in it and stuff. And that's like a, a Google document. I had to download that app because I don't use it because the notes one can do the same thing, basically. And that's how I used to do scripts together with uh, the Audiobus guys when I made uh, the videos for them, for their channel. Uh, they basically hired me to do tutorials. And so we sat and write, wrote the scripts together inside the notes. Uh, we didn't use any anything else. And you did that collaboratively at the same time? You wouldn't see the curses real time, uh, which is a good thing to have if you're... <laughs> if You might end up editing the same thing, but when you're sitting there and you're talking to this guy, you know, at the same time over Skype or something, which I use... Uh, no, wait. I used... I actually use FaceTime with him. I use FaceTime most of the times when I talk to people because a lot of the people I talk to have Apple devices. But yeah, I had to get Skype for talks like this, the one we're doing right now. Uh, but when you're sitting and talking to someone, you'd know where they're at because, you know, they're talking about what they're doing. And so it's not like you over like overdub each other in the text or anything like that. And it kind of, it updates instantly too, you know, when you're connected, even, even through a, a, four, a 3G network or a 4G network, it, inst- it instantly updates. Yeah, It's a really nice thing. I could I could uh, 
second that, I guess I'd say, you know, the focused podcast that I make with Mike Schmitz, we've been running that with Apple Notes for, I don't know, six months now, and no problem. I mean, it's not as immediate as the action you see with Google Docs. Like, when we were in Google Docs, I can actually see Stephen highlighting and moving text as we're talking. Um, with uh, Apple Notes, it just kind of happens. You know, you just see suddenly text has moved. Uh, but it is it is instant enough that it's fine to work collaboratively at the same time with. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And and I think Apple Notes, I think, is probably the better um, Apple application to do that in than Pages also supports that. But I feel like there's there's so much more bandwidth with Pages. It does so much more that I think it's not quite as, as peppy in terms of collaboration. The native apps are really, really, really good. When it comes to third-party apps and stuff that aren't production, uh, what can I tell you? I use um, I use di- something called uh, Digitally Imported. It's called di.fm. It's a radio channel. It collects um, electronic music, electronic music channels. It, it's, they're not channels per se. They're basically playlists of music. And it can be, you can listen to it for free and then you have to listen to ads just like Spotify, but it only plays a certain type of music on those channels. And so I listen to that a lot. Uh, like I, I use a lot, I listen to a lot of garage music and a lot of grime and dubstep and drum and bass, stuff like that when I work uh, with stuff that where I don't need to use my, my ears like music production, if I do thumbnails or graphics or animations, then I will listen to music and I use that app. So, I mean, I don't use that many third-party apps to do other stuff. Uh, I mean, other than, you know, Dropbox, of course, because I absolutely do not like iClouds. But yeah, that's just me. The And so you write all your scripts in Apple Notes and then... Uh, now, I've, I've watched your videos, so you do a lot of video uh, of your uh, scripts on camera. Are you reading them back, or how, you know, how, what's your workflow for that? Um, it depends on what type of video it is. Uh, nowadays, when I make my docutorials, the, the, the stuff I've been doing for the last past year, where, where it's a mix of a tutorial, interview, and, you know, all yeah. of that. Uh, yeah. When I do those, I script... And like maybe 50% of the video, 50% is the actually the parts where I need to be extremely clear about what I'm doing in the tutorial bits. Yeah. I need to make sure that the, the users or the end users or the viewers get what I'm talking about. I need to highlight stuff in a certain way. I need to use the right phrasings. And I get that wrong sometimes, but that's where I need the scripts. But when I walk around in the room in front of the camera, that's unscripted. That's just me talking. I'm, I'm just saying whatever comes out and whatever sticks, you know, I'll use that in the video. So sure. I'll cut down a 27-minute segment down to three minutes. And then I'll redo a new segment because remember, I'm using a 16 gigabyte phone after iOS, it's 10. After the apps, I have six. And so I'm limiting myself down to five because if you record more than five, you might end up having this session deleted because you'll get a cocoa error, meaning you can't, it cannot save the file because it's too large. So it will just dump it out. I just love this idea that you're shooting the video. And that in the back of your head, you know, there's a ticking time bomb on the video <laughs> at some point. Well, it, it, it's true on bigger cameras, too. You know, a lot of like DSLRs or mirrorless have a 30 minute timeout. And I've been caught by that on my Sony talking to camera, doing something. And it's like, 
oh no, you know, you're done and you go and like, oh, it cut off at some point. Like, I wonder when that happened. And there's always frustration with the equipment. And I find it especially frustrating with videos sometimes because I don't do it as much. Yeah, I, I, I had that with some of the YouTube stuff I do. I was using a lavalier mic and I had it plugged into a Zoom H1. And I just didn't realize the chip I had in it with the storage, the micro SD mm-hmm. was very small. And I did a bunch of recordings and realized I got like five minutes of audio. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that, a bummer. That is a bummer. <laughs> I yeah. mean, with, well, the, live and learn. with the camera there, Steven, you can actually hack your software so you can load like bigger, bigger cards. And also you, you could circumvent the 30 minute mark. Uh, yeah. I mean, the camera I have, it doesn't have that 30 minute mark anymore uh, because th- this camera I actually earned that through a job. And so they already did the hack to it so mm-hmm. uh, it can record about an hour or more um actually yeah and take double the size I, i've looked at that but it's under warranty still so <laughs> i'm a little nervous about it oh but... okay just just wait a little bit and then just yeah 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 check back in in a year it's like oh yeah i totally did it yeah um, um i do hope that when june comes around that with the new ios 13 that we get some uh, improvements to at least the operating system i don't think they're gonna be able to add the headphone jack back in software but if they did that would be pretty cool um yeah i mean but but, i guess we'll have to wait and see but but in the meantime i want to thank you for coming on the show everyone i head over to Jacob's channel especially if you have any interest in digital music there's just so much to take in there i love the way you do the interviews with the app developers you get kind of their vision but i also like your your method um clearly you have opinions as we heard on the show and i I like that because it comes out on your channel and it really helps people that want to get into digital music whether you're a beginner or you're advanced there's something there for you and uh and thanks for your time today yeah, thank you. I, I hope I haven't just sounded like a very angry dude because whenever I talk about this, I get angry because I care so much. I love this. I love this platform. We're, we're passionate because we care. Yeah, I love this platform and that's, that's it. I love it. I don't want to see it go to, to waste, become something horrible. Okay, so we're going to put in the show notes uh, your YouTube channel. Uh, you're also on Instagram, so we'll put that on there. And your website. All right, we'll put all your contact details in there so people can go check you out. And and once again, thanks for sharing your time. Uh, you know, scheduling a show where one person is in California and one is in Sweden, uh, never never very easy. And you've been really cooperative. And thank you for doing that as well. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this is my prime time. I always work during nights and evenings. I usually go to bed at about four or five or six in the morning. Wow, you are a musician, brother. You are a musician. I, I, <laughs> I, I really am. <laughs> I used to do that. I used to be in a band. I'd be out till two a.m. doing gigs. I can't do it anymore. I don't. I don't have. Mm-mm. I don't have the gas. Um, thanks to our sponsors, <laughs> One Password, Omni, Bombass, and Hover, and we'll see you all next week. 